Say, Lord, speak to me this morning, verses 25 to 27. Paul's concluding the letter to the Romans. This is it. We're winding down. Last words, Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. It was closed. It, is, it has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings, so notice what he says, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Why has he done this? To bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. I'm going to back up. Before I read verse 27, I'm going to read the first few words of verse 25 and get a running start to him. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore, notice the last words of Romans, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans. Now you wouldn't remember this, but I'm going to tell you, as I was reading this, I was like, man, this sounds really familiar. This sounds like, and I'll kind of flip back, so join me, go back to chapter number one. Go back to chapter one, we need to read. In fact, if you have a Bible in hand, you may want to mark your spot back there in chapter 16, so you can kind of flip back and forth and see some of the similarities. Romans chapter 1, I'm not going to comment all through here. I just want you to kind of feel we really are ending and concluding where we began. Verse number 1. It's like, Jeff, it seems like it was just 21 months ago we were reading. I know, it's just the other day, wasn't it? Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Hey, he talked about that in chapter 15, 16. Called to be an apostle, set apart. For the gospel, hey, we just read that in chapter 16. For the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. Hey, we just read about the writings of the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 3, what are these Holy Scriptures about in chapter 1, verse 3? Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. That's what declared him to be the son of God. The resurrection is the line of demarcation from all the other dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You're like, hey, we just read a lot about Jesus Christ. He had it in verse 25 and he ends it with verse number 27 in chapter 16. Verse 5, watch this. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about. Oh, grace and apostleship. Again, it sounds a lot like chapter 15. Paul in verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You're like, wait, that sounds like what we just read. He says, I'm writing this letter to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. He ends talking about the glory of God forevermore. For the sake of His name among all the nations. Obedience of the faith among all the nations. Chapter 1, verse 15. Paul told them at the beginning, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also at Rome. He's just got to go to Jerusalem first and drop some money off in his mind. That's what he thinks is going to happen. There's a delay. He eventually does get to Rome, but there's a delay. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Hey, we heard about the gospel in chapter 16. 
verse 16 in chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Would you go back to chapter 16 with me? Let's notice five things out of our text today. We couldn't narrow it down to one, two, or three things. Five things, and it all centers around the gospel of God. Paul ends his letter right where he begins, focusing on the gospel. So what's, what's, in fact, that's been our series name, right? The gospel of God. You have the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Paul's like, the book of Romans is the gospel of God. It's his, Paul's version of the gospel. Five things out of our text. Number one, the gospel strengthens Christians. You see that in verse 25? Look at verse 25. The gospel, the God of the gospel strengthens Christians. Verse 25, Paul concludes. By the way, we read these doxologies at the end. If you're not careful, you'll just say, oh, I'll read this. It's kind of like the way people, they have to come up with one of these to end a letter. Nowadays, we do sincerely or love in Christ, and we kind of do it meaninglessly. This is not a meaningless ending. This is a passionate crescendo. This is what Paul wants to My first words about God and the gospel. My last words will be about God and the gospel. Why? Because now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I think we could have, we're not, but we could have preached a whole message on this thought. God is able. God. Now to him who is able. To him who is able to strengthen you. Question. Where do you go when you need strength? Somebody this morning is really depleted, and I don't know who you are. You are just barely getting by. You feel really beat up. You feel really tired. What do you do to get your strength? Where do you go to draw strength? Now, we could be real practical, and some of you say this. Jeff, I draw my strength from I try to eat right. Good. Praise the Lord. I try to eat right. I ha- I've learned me. I have to have my rest. Now, some of you, you can get by on four hours of sleep, <clears throat> Brandon. And then there's others of you that are like, I've got to have more than four. And some of you are like, I have to have my eight or my family knows that I miss my sleep. Okay? Maybe you say, I, I draw strength from eating right, from resting correctly, getting my right amount of rest. I've just learned I have to have that. And others of you say, I exercise. Guess what? I, my doctor's sitting here. I exercise three times this week. I'm really proud of myself. Deanna exercised, I did. You did seven. I did Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, so Deanna beat me, Dr. Kyle. But uh, I've got some, I, some of you didn't exercise any, so don't judge me. I did three at least. Uh, you ought to do that. Where do you draw strength from? Some of you would say this, Jeff, I'll tell you where our strength comes from. Our family is so tight-knit. And I mean, maybe you mean your family. Or maybe you mean just from all growing up, our extended family, that's just where my strength comes from, my family. Others of you would say, I have great friendships, tremendous friendships. Some of you would say, I have a counselor, I have an advisor or two or three, and they really pour into me, and I benefit from it, and they're my rock, and they're my strength. Others of you would say this, I've learned myself through the years. When I get depleted, I know I just have to take some days. I have to get out of the rut. I have to retreat. I have to take a vacation. Uh, Again, there it is. It's coming on. I feel that cloud. I've got to get away. Get out of the rut. Listen, it's good to get out of the rut. These people that brag about, I haven't taken a vacation in 25 years. Okay? You and your pride need to be quiet and stop guilting everybody else because you're wrong to do that. 
The Jews took vacation. God put three weeks into their calendar of vacation. But I'm going to tell you, you can take all the retreats and you can go and recenter your mind and meditate. And, and I look forward to those times. Sometimes we take vacations and they're busy vacations. Sometimes we do slow down ones. Just I've got to recenter. I just feel depleted. All of those are wonderful things. We need to eat right, rest correctly. Good family, good relationships, counselor, all of those things. Very valuable. Please hear me. But there's going to come a time when life's going to take a severe turn. Not a turn, a severe turn. There's going to come a time when you're not just weary. I mean, you are totally feeling depleted. I'm just exhausted. Not physically in my soul, my spirit. I'm just exhausted. And I know this. You're going to come to the end of your life and you're going to be facing death. And at that time, that other list of things may not provide the strength that you need. Where are you going to turn? The Bible says, Paul says, now to him who is able, you say, I walked in depleted. He is able to strengthen you. How? God has a method that strengthens Christians. This method does not strengthen unsaved people, non-believers. It strengthens Christians. It works. What is it? It's called the gospel. The gospel strengthens Christians. Now, I can't preach a long message here, but I'm going to plan a thought. Jeff, what is it about the gospel that rejuvenates and gives us strength and stabilizes us and establishes us and causes us to be firm and have energy and strength that we don't have of our own? What is it? It could be a long list. I'm going to throw out three words. I don't have time to develop them. I believe it's this. The gospel reminds you that you are loved. Somebody here today, you don't feel loved. You're thinking, nobody loves me. God loved you so much, he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for you. God, if you before I spoke a word, you were singing over me, the song said a little earlier. I like that line. I wasn't even born yet, and God's already enjoying my presence in heaven in eternity because he loves me. The gospel reminds us that we are loved. The gospel reminds us that we have hope. It's hard. It's difficult down here. But you have hope, a guaranteed expectation. I read back. I usually do this. I, there's a section. We'll be in Ephesians in a little bit. And I read a little bit before the actual verses. I try to get the context. And I was reminded that part of my inheritance is I'm going to experience the immeasurable riches of the grace of God in kindness to me. Jeff, on your worst day, remember... This is coming. You are going to experience the immeasurable riches of His grace, His grace in kindness. He's going to be so kind to me throughout eternity. This earth has nothing in comparison to that. That's coming for you. That'll kind of strengthen you when you feel a little bit down. That'll pick you up. And I think a third word that comes to mind, what is it innately in the gospel? I believe it's this word purpose. It reminds me I'm loved. It reminds me I have hope. And it reminds me... I have a purpose to serve in this life and everything that God's allowing to happen to me, He has a purpose for it even when I don't know what the purpose is. So stay the course and that strengthens you. Strengthens you to do what? Now I do have a list here. Would you write these down? The gospel is able to strengthen us to spend your whole life serving people with your spiritual gifts. I hope you've learned what are you designed to do? What has God wired you to do? You say, Jeff, I've been using my spiritual gift and I'm growing weary and tired. I'm going to invite you. Turn your focus again and just get down to the basics of the gospel and then the Lord will remind you, you are loved, you have hope, you have a purpose and it will put you right back into the game. Serving people. A second way that we're strengthened is we're strengthened to endure long continuance of trials and tests. Notice, not trials and tests. I mean when trials and tests are long and in, it just continuously, wave after wave after wave. 
the gospel will allow you to endure and stand the test of that. Number three, how does it, how does it strengthen us? The gospel gives you strength to see powerful victories over sin. You're like, Jeff, I've come in defeated. Sin has been whipping me. You're not focusing on the gospel. You're not focusing on what the gospel teaches us. We see powerful victory over sin, over the old self, even over Satan. We talked about him last week. They cannot win. Sin cannot win. Watch this. Here's what the gospel does. The gospel is like a legal advisor warning you, telling you, now listen, there's a debt collector or debt collectors. They're going to call and they're going to demand some payment. All right? You don't have to answer their calls. You don't owe them anything. They're powerless. You say, Jeff, what is this analogy? Here's the analogy. Sin, who used to be your master, is going to call, but the gospel says it is dead to you. You're dead to it. You do not have to obey. Now, if you choose to obey, you're, you're obeying something you do not have to do. The unsafe person cannot stop sinning. You are doing it by choice. You do not have to obey. He's like a debt collector. Say, hey, I don't have to do anything for you. I don't owe you anything. You're not my boss. Talk to sin. Talk to the old self. Talk to Satan. You're a liar. The gospel has defeated you. He really doesn't like hearing that. And another way is the, to withstand peer pressure. Just thought of that because last week we were talking about our young people and all the difficulties that they face. Do you, guys, do you know the gospel will allow you to have the strength to withstand peer pressure? So much so, some of you this week, you were in situations like, I felt like I was the only Christian. And I'm, I'm like the weird one. And it's best just to not say anything. When God wants you to say just a few words and leave them sitting there going, something is in that person. Something's in that young woman. Something is that, in that young man or adult over where you work to just give a word of witness. And they may walk away saying, dude, I don't know what's up with that guy. He's got something. Strong. You have an inner core strength that's not yours. It's character of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Second thought is this. The gospel centers on Jesus Christ. The gospel centers on Jesus Christ. Paul says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Watch this line. Everybody watch. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Watch. What does Paul mean? My gospel. Does he mean it's his and his only and don't anybody else come in my territory? This is my gospel. You guys use your gospel. No, there are not multiple gospels. There's only one gospel. It's the same. Paul's gospel, same one I'm preaching. I learned it from him, by the way. But he learned it from God. His gospel is the same one Peter and James and John and every true minister of God. There's only one gospel. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch. Paul uses three words in verses 25 and 26 to convey how did the gospel reach you sitting there in 2018? How did the gospel reach you? These three words are these. Revelation, writings, preaching. Here are the verses. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching, that's the third phase, that's what you heard, you say, well, I got saved not at a preaching service. Just my mom talked to me. Okay, she was preaching to you. She was telling you the gospel. If you really got saved. According to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revel revelation. You see, the preaching is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings. Say, so, Jeff, how did the gospel get to me? Watch. I don't even know if I have anything to use this morning. I have this. 
this little cough drop thing in case I ever need them. Hope today we don't need them. Haven't used them in a long time. You know what that is? That's not a piece of plastic. That's a truth about God. So we're going to rewind. How'd the gospel reach you? Facts, truths about God were covered. But God performed revelation. Hebrew word, galah. Oh. Greek word, apocalypto. Wow, revelation. And the prophets see this. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them and causes them to be inspired, inspiration. So they write it down in the prophetic writings. And then people read the prophetic writings and they learn these things and they go out and teach and preach. And that reached you. It reached me in 1979. I got saved. Again, Ed Yeoman preached Jesus Christ. Here's the thought. All of the revelation, all of the writing it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and all of the teaching and preaching ultimately must focus, center, at some point, come back to Jesus. You say, Jeff, I came to grace for you today because I believe in God. Great. Hell is full of people who believe in God. Ultimately, the revelation and the writings and the preaching has to come back to the person of Jesus Christ because believing in God will not save you. Believing in God has never saved anyone. It comes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, third thought. So the gospel strengthens Christians. The gospel centers on Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 25. And now we see this. The gospel was a mystery kept secret for ages. Paul's finishing, focusing on the gospel, but he says, you know what? It was kept secret for ages. Back up to verse 25 again. Let's read it, 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the eternal God. If you want to write it down, you say, Jeff, what is a mystery? Okay, we're not talking about Nancy Drew. Okay, we're not talking about Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. That real genius Encyclopedia Brown. I'm not talking about him. So what's a mystery? Here it is. A scriptural mystery is something, here's important, something that was unknown in times past but has been made known in New Testament times. We're going to look at a few of these. It was unknown in times past, but now in New Testament times, it has been made known. I've learned this. The Bible has much in it that is just so straightforward. We started with three verses along that line. Hey, Paul is dictating to Tertius. Somebody says, hey, include me. Tell him I said, hey, tell him I said, hey, send my greetings. Guess what? There it is. But there's other passages of Scripture that are very hard to understand, very hard to understand, until you're given the key. So if you'll picture a treasure map, great. If there really is a treasure and the pirates really buried it somewhere, that's wonderful. You know it's out there, but if you have no markings, no key to tell you where the treasure is, it does you no good. You need something that says the distance and you need something that shows what the landmarks are and then we can kind of do the scale. Here's what I've learned. The Bible has sections that are very hard to understand until you're given the key to the interpretation. Once you have the key, it opens up. Example. Acts chapter 8, there's an Ethiopian. He's been in Jerusalem. He's headed back down to Africa. He's reading the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. He's reading the Bible, the section we call Isaiah. 
They didn't have chapter divisions, but he was in Isaiah 53, and he's reading about this lamb that's slaughtered, and people are healed by the stripes and by the wounds of this slaughtered lamb. And he's just innocent. He's not fighting back. Well, along comes the man of God named Philip, comes beside the chariot of this Ethiopian and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I except someone explains it to me? No, I don't understand what it means. In essence, Philip says, scoot over, I'll tell you what it means. You want to know who the lamb is? If I could know who the lamb is, I could figure the passage out. It's not hard to understand. Who is this lamb? And he tells them it's Jesus, the Christ. Jesus himself, before he was crucified, gave a parable. And he says, there's this sower. And he has some seed, and the sower is sowing seed. And some of the seed falls on the wayside, on the hard, beat-down path. And the birds come and pick the seed up. And some of the seed falls on the shallow ground, which is a little bit of earth, okay, a little bit, but underneath it, not very far under the soil, can't see it, but there's rock, large rock. And the seed seems like it's going to spring up and do something, but the heat of the day kills it because there's really no root system. And some of the seed falls among the thorns and the thistles, and it can't really take root and pr produce fruit because the thorns and the thistles choke it out. They dominate it. But some of the seed falls on good ground, and it develops and it gives fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Guess what's in this room today? The application of Jesus' parable. Jesus tells this story. Great. There's a person, he's sowing seed, falls on four kinds of soil. Wonderful. Everybody leaves. The disciples are like, well, what, what in the world does that mean? Oh, you need to know the key. The key to the passage is the seed is the word of God. The soils, the four types of soil, represent human hearts. Four kinds of people who, when they're exposed to the Word of God, have different responses. Probably this morning, in this room, all four kinds of people are in this room. There are some, you're just not going to hear the message today. You're here and you're already, all you're worried about is where you're going to eat, who's playing football in a little, in a little while, another nonsense like that. That's all you can think about. What's on your phone? Are you getting a text? Or somebody send you an email? Or somebody send you a little Snapchat or something? Your, your mind is dominated by that. You're just going to totally miss it, unfortunately. You will die and go to hell. And there's a second group. Sometimes people hear and they give an emotional response and it looks and sounds like they really got saved, but they didn't. Trials come, the heat of the day, and they turn from the Lord and reveal they really were never saved. And then there's these others. They hear the gospel and they show some interest, but they never really produce anything for the Lord because... They're distracted by money and fame and titles and power and possessions. And it's constantly being choked out. But praise the Lord, there are some who their hearts are good ground and they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they put their faith in Christ and they produce fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. All four are probably in this room this morning. I don't know who you are. God knows. Scripture can be hard to... If I just knew the key... Do you know the gospel, the plan of God, if you want to write this down, has never been changed? You say, no, no, Jeff, there's Old Testament and there's New Testament. The Old Testament was that and then it changed. God kind of switched courses in the New Testament. No, he didn't. The plan of God, the gospel was there all along. It's never been changed. It's never been altered. It's never been added to. It was just veiled. It was veiled. The gospel was a mystery kept secret for ages. In fact, Watch this. Do you know the men who wrote the Old Testament often didn't know what in the world they were writing? They're writing along. The Holy Spirit's telling them what to write. They're obeying. They're writing the words of God. 
They understand no doubt much of what they're writing, but there's some things they're writing, they literally, I don't even know what that meant. I know I was supposed to write. You're like, Jeff, where are you getting such crazy ideas? Go with me, 1 Peter chapter 1. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Watch this. 1 Peter 1. So you've got to pay attention here. Don't be a wayside, wayside hearer here. Don't let the seed of the Bible fall on you today and the birds of the air, which we know represent the demonic forces of the devil. They come along and distract your thinking. Don't be one of those people. Watch what the Bible says. First Peter, New Testament times, writing about the Old Testament writers. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, Old Testament, who prophesied, not only in their preaching, but also in their writing. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Peter's writing this 2,000 years ago. Talking about people who wrote 26, 2,700 years ago. Even as much as 3,500 years ago. Watch this. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Searched. And inquired. Carefully. Literally. They, watch it. They're searching. They're really looking. They're studying. Inquiring. Verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Literally, the Old Testament prophets are writing things, but they're like, Lord, what are these sufferings? Who is this suffering one? When is this going to happen? And what's this glory after? So he's suffering. We don't know when, but he's suffering, and it's going to lead to glory afterward. In fact, Apparently, it leads to the glories of people who are going to benefit from his suffering. Who is the suffering one? Verse 12. Peter says, It was revealed to them, the Old Testament writers, that they were serving not themselves. It's not your lifetime. But you, Peter's generation, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. What the Bible just told us is this. Old Testament, it was there. It was just veiled. It wasn't really clear, but it was really there. In fact, the angels are even looking at it and going, God, what is that? I'm with him. What does this even mean? Later. It's not for you to know right now. A group's coming later. Join me in 1 Corinthians. Because the scripture refers to many types of mysteries. I'm not going to hit them all. I'm going to hit a few. Give you a sample. Remember something, a mystery is something that was hidden in the past, made known in New Testament times for our benefit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's a mystery. Chapter 6, verse 18. By the way, I just literally stand here. This may be me. What we're about to read... I think somebody here, you need to really focus on this. The rest of the message not for you. God brought you here today for verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Run from it. Get out of it. Flee from sexual immorality. Why? Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. I can't explain it, but there's something about sexual sins that is especially damaging God hates it hey it's my own body boy don't we hear that a lot abortion's okay it's my body it's not murder okay what about the child I really wasn't planning on saying that but that needs said it's my body don't tell me what to do with my body 
Well, if you're a Christian, verse 19, why should I not commit sexually immoral things? Verse 19, do you not know? Is this a mystery to you? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Don't hook up with prostitutes. Don't do that. You mean God is going to like live? I understand God comes on the prophets. You saying God's going to come and live inside of the average believer? Absolutely. I know ever since A.D. 56 when Paul wrote Romans. So it's the mystery of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Flip over just a few pages. Chapter 15. Here's a mystery. You'll even see the word mystery in the passage. It's the mystery of the rapture. You won't find the word rapture, but you'll hopefully see the idea. Here's a mystery. It was hidden in times past. It's uncovered in New Testament times for our benefit. It was there all along, by the way. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Paul to the Corinthians says, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood, which all of us have right now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot go to heaven as you are. Nor does the perishable, that's us, these bodies, the perishable inherit the imperishable heaven. Behold, Corinthians, guess what? Pay attention. I tell you a mystery. It's been hidden till now. I'm telling it to you though. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Sleep there means die. It's a euphemism for the soul sleep. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Some have used that as like a theme verse for nursery in churches. I don't know what, anyway. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Okay, sorry, bad joke. I've heard it before. Shouldn't have done it. Move on. Let's get back to the seriousness of this text. Paul says, Corinthians, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not all of us are going to die. Really? Not every Christian is going to die? Everybody has to die, right, Paul? Nope. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. This is a real event. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. You know what Paul is saying? There's coming a time... When all those who have died in Christ, who put their faith in Christ, right now their bodies on earth, their soul and spirit is with the Lord, but there's going to come a time, there's going to be this trump, the Lord's going to come back, He's not going to touch down, but He's going to be there. And their bodies are going to go and meet up with their soul and spirit, and it's going to be a glorified body. What about some Christians who are still living on the earth? We're not going to have to die. We're just going to go straight to be with the Lord immediately. I'm sure people here are going to be left with a lot of questions. But we can't go in these bodies. And so they're going to go first. Oh, look, they got glorified bodies. Here we go. And we're going to have to have a change of body. And it's going to happen so fast you won't even have time to get ready. It's a mystery. Was that God's plan all along? It was there all along. It just wasn't made known until Paul told the Corinthians. Flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I have a lot of passages today. We're not spending a long time on any one of them, but several passages as proof text today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This one we could call the mystery of lawlessness. I'm jumping in the middle of, of Paul's argument, so I'm not getting the whole picture. Just know that he's talking about what you have heard called the Antichrist. Oh, that's real? Verse number 8, verse, I'm sorry, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness. He's talking about the lawless one. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
has been for 2,000 years. Only he who now, he who now restrains it. There's a he who's restraining it. Only now, he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So whoever's restraining the lawless one, the Antichrist, from being revealed, first he's going to be removed. And some have conjectured, is the he, the Holy Spirit, withdrawn and, and taking a little more of a reserved, hidden role than he is right now? Is the Holy Spirit withdrawing or is this a church is being raptured? My personal opinion, which is probably worth about two cents, is that it's both of those. It's the Holy Spirit working in the church. But when the rapture occurs, guess what's going to happen? And then, verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They just refuse to believe the Bible and so they fall easy prey to the Antichrist. Christ is going to crush him, but first, he's going to have his day. Yeah, Antichrist is going to have his seven years. But first, what's restraining him from taking over is going to be removed. The Bible's full of mysteries that are now revealed. But none, listen, none of the things I've said are the main mysteries of the New Testament. You say, Jeff, those, those are great ones. I like those. And those are very encouraging. The Holy Spirit's going to live in us. We might be the generation that gets raptured out. And, you know, Christ is going to defeat the lawless one, the Antichrist. Let me give you the three dominant mysteries of the New Testament. These are shocking. What's perhaps old hat to you and you're like I know these there's nothing special in this I've heard this all my life I'm telling you this was cutting edge never before thought none of these three things would have entered the minds of people in a Jewish synagogue 2,000 years ago but these are the mysteries revealed very important number one the mystery revealed is that the Messiah oh, a special redeemer is coming a special prophet a savior for us and he's going he's to just conquer the world and the Jews are going to rule and reign. Here's what you need to know about the Messiah. The Messiah is not just a special prophet and a special person. The Messiah is God himself in the flesh. Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming. Get to the New Testament. You know what the New Testament tells us? I am the Messiah. I am the one. I'm coming myself. Another one that blew people away, shocked them, even offended them, offended the very thought of this. The Messiah would actually voluntarily allow himself to be killed at his first advent to earth so he could save the souls of human beings. He can't, this is what the average thought, Jesus can't be the Christ, he died on a cross. The Bible says he is the Christ because he died on the cross. He is God in the flesh for the purpose of paying for our sins. And then the one that really offended the Jews is this third one. That the Gentiles, us, would receive the exact same grace of God as the Jews. And the Gentiles would be prominent throughout the New Testament and in the church. And no one saw that coming. Was it there? Oh, it was there. But it was hidden. Would you look over at Ephesians chapter 6? I want to, sorry, Ephesians 3. I'm going to read six verses. Ephesians 3. Read the first six verses and you'll see this mystery that was revealed to Paul. Ephesians 3 verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, 
Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, I'm your apostle, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, he's talking about the book of Ephesians. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul's not bragging. He's just saying how it happened. This mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men, which was, uh, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In fact, I would tell you, Paul knew more of this mystery than anyone and emphasized it more than anyone. Verse 6. So, Paul, what is the mystery? The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. MacArthur writes the following. Through Jesus Christ, and I, I get it. You say, Jeff, we've been through Romans. This is old to us. We're not that excited anymore. You should be. Through Jesus Christ, believing Gentiles are as fully saved, as fully the children of God, and as fully citizens of the divine kingdom as are believing Jews. Same level. Not lesser. Not second rate. Same level. Same saved. Same family. Same children. Same citizens. So guys, if you're like me, you say, Jeff, wouldn't it have been cool to see the miracles and the victorious battles of the Jews and how God had his hand upon them. Wouldn't that have been cool to live there? It had been nice to visit. I'm telling you, this is a much better day. Those were dark days. Those were veiled days. You hear on a regular basis what was hidden to people at that time. Number four, Romans 16. Number four, the gospel produces obedience. And this is where I have to be careful. The gospel produces obedience to God. We see that in verse 26. So he says, This mystery that was kept secret has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Why? Watch this. To bring about the obedience of faith. I have to emphasize this. This is important. You are saved. If you are saved, you are saved by grace. Grace means gift. It is not a gift if I have to give it to you. It is not a gift if I have to give it to everyone. You have to give it to everyone, and if you give it to everyone, then I owe it to you. I owe it to you. That's not grace. That's debt. Okay? Salvation is by grace. It is free. If you do anything for it, it is not a gift. To be saved, we receive the grace of God by faith. Faith means you literally do not have to move a muscle. You literally do not move a muscle. You don't have to get up out of that seat. You don't have to come down here to an altar. You don't have to shake my hand. You don't have to move your vocal cords. You don't have to do any of those things to go to heaven. You do have to have faith to receive the grace. So I'm emphasizing this. You are not saved by working for it. If if works got any of us to heaven or helped us at all, I promise you, I would be in here every week giving you a pep talk to go out and work. Go work. Do it another week. You might die this week. Work enough to get your way to heaven. I promise you I would be giving you that pep talk. Notice, I never do that. Have you sensed that I want to not have you thinking we're working our way to heaven? But verse 26 says, the commandment of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. If you want to write this down, faith is not action. 
Faith is not action. Faith is not a work. But when it is real, when faith is real, it always leads to action. Always leads to action. Faith is not a work. Faith is not action. But when faith is real, it always leads to action. A little bit ago, and a couple of Wednesdays ago on a Wednesday night, we were talking about faith. We went to, I alluded to Hebrews 11. Can I offer something to you? You want to know why? Why did Noah construct an ark, Hebrews 11? Oh, because he obeyed God. Why did he obey God? I'm going to tell you. You want to know? Why did Noah construct an ark? Because he believed God. A flood is coming. And I'm sure people are like, Noah, that's great. What is a flood? The water's going to cover the highest mountains, guys. And only the people who are in this boat. How is water going to flood the highest mountains when the rains come? What is rain? It's never rained. Noah believes God. Rain is coming. The fountains of the great deep are going to burst forth. The floods are going to come. And everyone, except those who are on this boat, all of them will die. You have to be on this boat for 120 years, he preaches. Save yourselves. Abraham, watch. When faith is real, it always leads to action. Abraham offered his son Isaac. God said, Abraham... That son right there, Isaac, is the chosen line. You will be a great nation. You will be the father of many nations through him. And by the way, I want you to kill him. But God, he doesn't have... Abraham doesn't argue with God. All he knows is God says, Isaac is going to be with me. He's going to cause me to be the father of many nations. And now he's told me to kill my own son. And so he takes him up on the mountain. He binds him up, puts him over the altar. And he's ready to kill him. Why is he doing this? Because he has faith. You don't even see it in Genesis, but the book of Hebrews says the reason he obeyed God is because he believed God would raise him from the dead. Apparently, you want me to kill him. I'll prove I love you even more than him. I'm going to take my son's life. You must be going to raise him from the dead. There had never been a resurrection. He believed. Moses. You know why Moses kept the first Passover and put blood? He killed a lamb, and they go inside the house, and they eat the, the, the lamb for a meal, and they have other things with it. But they take the blood of the lamb, and they put it on the sides of their doors and over the top of the door, and they go into those houses. Why does Moses and the children of Israel keep the first Passover? Here's why. They believe God. The firstborn are all dying tonight in the land of Egypt. We will die unless we apply blood over the door. I know this is happening. The firstborn will die But God will spare us if we go through this blood. The death angel will pass over the house that's had the blood applied. Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 2. Quick point. Ephesians 2. Verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10. So the gospel produces obedience to God. Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, not by good works, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand, we should walk in them. We're created for good works. We're not saved by good works, we're created for good works. If you have your Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Watch what Paul tells the Philippians. Stay with it, stay focused. Here we go, chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore, Paul tells the Philippian church, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out. Meaning, let it work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, Christian, this is you. It is God who works. It's 
not me that's doing the work, God who works in you both to will. God affects your want to. God affects your will. I don't know why, but I want to do that. I don't know why, but I'm not going to do that anymore. God affects your will, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want to propose to you this. In eternity past, if you're a Christian, God predestined that your invisible faith would be made very visible by outward works. To be clear, if you want to write it down, obedience to God is not the root of salvation. That's not how you get saved. But obedience to God is the guaranteed, certain fruit. It is the fruit. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not good at agriculture, and I couldn't tell you an orange tree from a pear tree from an apple tree until I see oranges on it. When I see oranges on it, like, hey, that's an orange tree. Oh, yeah, brilliant, Einstein. It's got oranges all over it. I'm just saying. I, I know that's an orange tree. Hey, this person's a Christian. How do you know? It's just obvious because they obey God. I don't want to get mean here. I want to, I want to help us. So I'm going to be real straightforward. All of us can say with our mouth or a raised hand, Jesus is Lord. You really, not with a raised hand or with vocal cords, but in your core, in your soul, in your spirit, you have to confess Jesus is Lord. Go to heaven. You can even say, Jesus is my Lord. But if your life is marked in the main by disobedience to the revealed will of God rather than by obedience to the revealed will of God, you're fooling yourself if you think you're on your way to heaven. We'll say it again. Oh, no, no, no. I, I raise my hand whenever you have us raise hands if we know we're going to heaven. And I've, I've told people, in fact, I even prayed a prayer one time, Jesus, you be my Lord. You can say he's your Lord, but if your life is marked in the main, you say, Jeff, we have to live perfectly. No, no one can live perfectly in this life. But if your life is marked more by disobedience to God than it is to obedience, you're kidding yourself. You're not on your way to heaven. You're not on your way to heaven. I stand by that. Everybody sit there and look at me like, what's he saying? I'm telling you the truth. You need to check your life. Is your life marked by disobedience or by obedience? Jeff, what do you mean by obedience? Love God. Love people. Confess Him. You don't get saved in a meeting like this and just be a secret saint the rest of your life. You let somebody know like someone did me Friday. You let someone know. You get baptized. I'm ready to go public for Christ. You obey Him. How? You surrender to Him. You worship Him. You pray to Him. Yes, you give to Him. There's that preacher preaching on giving. This isn't me, I'm just telling you. If your whole life, you never pray, you never surrender, you never worship, haven't been baptized, you've never confessed his name, he comes up in a conversation, you get real quiet, but you get real loud about your team, you ought to be wondering if you're going to heaven or not. You're probably not. But I trusted, I called Jesus my Lord one time when I was a little kid. My mama told me I did. You're fooling yourself, you're in dangerous ground. Do you have any signs? Is there any evidence of obedience? He says, I saved you to be obedient. I foreordained it before the world began. You will be obedient. If your life is marked by disobedience, you should be worried. What do you mean obedient? Assemble with God's people. Evangelize. If meeting with God's people, I'm telling you, coming to church will not save you. Praying will not save you. Reading the Bible will not save you. Giving will not save you. Telling other people about Jesus will not save you. But if you never do any of those things, 
And it takes any little thing to come along and it knocks you out of church. Well, it's the such and such season. So I'm just going to miss church. Okay. You might be saved. I'd be really nervous if I were you. You have no desire. You just disobey, disobey. Be killing sin in the life. Gossip. Unforgiveness. Slander. Hatred. Anger. If that marks your life, you should be worried. Jeff doesn't any of those things. Yes, we all fall. But the main of the life is obedience. Lord, I did it again. I receive your forgiveness and you serve God. If you're marked by disobedience and you have the occasional act of obedience for an hour and a half on Sunday as you can't count down fast enough till they say amen, you got a problem. Number five. The gospel glorifies the wisdom of God because God saves people way differently than how we would. Verse 27, to the only wise God. He's the only wise God because he's the only God. And he's the all-wise God. To him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. I have more I could say, but watch. I'm not done. I know you're probably done. You want me to be done, but I'm not. And I knew I had a danger when I finished our handouts and I finished with that note. But I have to answer this question. Because sitting here right now, there should be multiple people wondering, am I even on my way to heaven? And you should care way more about getting that corrected than the Packers playing today. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about people's souls. The plan of God all along is to glorify God in a way that He's looked at through eternity as the all-powerful, holy, all-wise God. Only you come up. God, every time mankind comes up with a way to get to heaven, it always involves them being good enough and working their way. You've come up with this other plan that is just totally different. You are so wise. Yours are the only one that works. So I've got to leave you with this question. Jeff, the gospel strengthens Christians. It's wonderful. The gospel, let me refresh myself on my points this morning. The gospel centers on Christ. The gospel was kept secret. The gospel produces faith. It exalts and magnifies the wisdom of God. Jeff, you've danced all around it all morning. What is the gospel? I want to give it to you. Before I do, I'm not going to take long. You need to listen like your life depends on it. Because your life depends on it. What is the gospel? The gospel is four things you need to know about God. God is holy. You need to know that. I want to focus on one thing about the holiness of God. It's this. God is separate from sin. God's in his own category and everything, but I'll promise you this. God is separate from sin. He's so separate, God cannot tolerate your sin. You have it. Romans 3, 23. We have that on the screen. Watch this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Watch. Part of the glory of God is not just that he has never sinned, 
God cannot sin. Habakkuk says of God, God, you're a purer eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on iniquity. God will not let any sin into heaven. I'm telling you, listen this morning. You've sinned. God will not let you or your sin into heaven as you are. God is holy. Number two, God is just. God is the just judge of all the universe. We may think, God, can't you just stay over there and just let us sinners who all of us have sinned, just let us stay over here and have our little existence and okay, we're going to miss heaven, we're going to hate it, but you just stay over there and we'll stay over here. God cannot just overlook your sin. As the just judge, we would, we would be angry at any judge if, if there's a known murderer who keeps committing serial murders in Anderson and the judges and the police know about it but they don't do anything about it. Those are not righteous government officials. God is the ultimate judge. If he does not punish your sin, then he's not a just judge. He's not a just God. He has to punish. How does he punish? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. Look at me. There's three kinds of death. There's spiritual death. It's where you're separated from God. Right now in this life, you're born in sin, separated from God. There's physical death. That's where your soul and spirit will separate from your body. You don't know anyone 120 or 130 years old. Everyone dies. But there's a third death. It's called the second death in the Scriptures. This is the one. Death means separate. Watch Matthew 25. Can we have Matthew 25? Look at the Bible. Jesus, this is a real event. You have to hear this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart. There's death. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a real event. God is holy. He hates sin. He cannot have it in his heaven, but he must punish sin. And he says the wage of sin is death. You have to die. And there's this eternal death which will be in the lake of fire. And you're like, Jeff, this does not sound like a gospel. This does not sound like good news. Here's the good news. God is loving. God loves so much that he, this is important, hear this, he made a way for wicked, sinful people to be close to him. You say, Jeff, death means we have to go away from him. There's no way to be close to him. He, in his wisdom, made a way for us to be close to him that satisfies his holiness. But he hates sin. Oh, sin's going to be removed. And it satisfies his justice. I thought sin has to be punished. It is punished in Christ on the cross. Where do you get that? First Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Bring us to God. That sounds like life, not death. That's why he died, so that he could bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Do you see that? Our sins put on Christ. Who knew no sin? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin. We get his righteousness. See that exchange? That's the gospel. 1 John 1 verse 7. Don't look at the front of it. Just look at the end of the verse. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But Jeff, you don't understand. I've done some really bad things. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So then everybody's saved. We're all saved. This is great. No, you're not. God is holy. God is just. God is loving. Number four. This is key. They're all key. God is gracious. He gives away salvation for free to everyone who puts faith in His promises and in His Son. Jeff, where do you see this? Ephesians 2. 
Look at verse 8 and 9. Hear the Bible. Somebody this morning needs this. You, need to, you, you think, I'm going to church to kind of get some points with God. No, it won't work. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. God will not have any boasting. But what does that mean to have faith? John 1.12, look at it. But So Jesus comes to his own and everybody rejects him. But to all, I did this. Not everybody, but to all who did receive him. Who believed. What does it mean to receive Jesus? Who believed in his name. I don't even know what he looks like. Believe in his name. To those he gave the right to become the children of God. There's a man who's a jailer who's about to commit suicide. And he asked the apostles, Paul and Silas, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? Acts 16. Look at the Bible. Look what it says. Acts 16, 31. And they said, So Jeff, how do you, how do you get saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans 10, 13 words it this way. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. So I'll leave you with this. You ready? Jeff, I don't know that I have this faith. What is this Bible faith? How do I know if I have Bible faith? Or you're sitting here like a while ago, my, my life is not marked by obedience. It's mostly marked by disobedience. And every now and then me trying to turn over a new leaf and do some religious things. I'm, I don't think I'm going to heaven. How can I go to heaven? Only by believing the promises of God. God offers salvation, not like my hand there, but God is offering salvation, eternal life. You have to hear it and you have to have faith. Faith, three things. You say, Jeff, I thought it was one faith. It is one faith, but it has three aspects. Watch. Do you understand? You don't just believe. Oh, I believe. I, I believe. I believe the platform will hold me up. I believe if I throw an apple in the air, it'll fall down. See, I believe I'm going to heaven right now. You have to believe in something. You have to believe in a holy God who punished our sin in Christ, who offers that as a free gift. You have to be informed. You have to understand that. So then I'm saved. No. You have to agree with God. The Bible says confess. Literally, in your soul and spirit, not moving your arms, not moving your vocal cords. You can do that, but you don't have to. In your core, you have to have a conversation with God that says, God, I'm a sinner. I agree with you. It's a lot worse than I thought. And don't do this. But they're worse, and they're over there worse. Here's what you got to do, God. I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment. But I also agree with you about Jesus, that his death on the cross, I don't understand it all. But if you said it, I agree with you. So then I'm saved. Surely I'm saved. No, you're not. There's one last aspect. Understand, agree, here's the big one, trust. You got to depend. You have to depend on the promise. God, you can't lie. God says, I can't lie. Do you hear me or do you hear Jeff? Are you hearing Jeff today? If you're hearing Jeff, you're not going to get saved. As you're looking at those verses up there, do you hear me? By grace, you've been saved. To all who receive my son, if you'll believe in his name, I'll give you eternal life. You'll be my child. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I just wonder, is today meant to be a very special day for someone here this morning? I'm going to invite you. I know I've gone long. Today I'm very okay with it. I invite you to come back next week. But today, somebody here may need to do some real business with God, just right where you're sitting, not moving, 
no movement of muscle, no work, just right where you sit, you need to talk to the Lord. Bring Him into your conscious awareness. God's here. He hears you. So I want to ask you this question. Simple question. You ready? Do you believe God? Do you believe God? You can only be saved by faith. I know He's offering you salvation. To be more specific, here's my question. Do you believe God loves you? Is there anything in you that says, I just don't know that He loves me. You can't be saved with that. You're calling God a liar. God says, I so love the world, I gave my only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Do you believe, here it comes, do you believe God loves you and will save you from your sin and give you eternal life if you ask Him? Do you believe that? If you ask Him, do you believe He loves you and will forgive you and give you eternal life? And if your answer is inside yourself is, well, Jeff, it's the Bible that was on the screen. Of course he will. You're really close. Then I would ask you this. If you in your soul say, and I'm not sure if I'm on my way to heaven, but I believe if I ask him, God will. He has to. He promised. He can't lie. Then I only ask you one more thing. Will you follow Christ right now? Salvation occurs in a moment of time. You walk in somewhere and you're lost on your way to hell. And then you hear and you understand, you agree with God. And you depend and trust. You walk out alive. Eternally alive. If that is anyone this morning, I want to invite you. Just talk to the Lord right where you're at. Say, God... I agree with you. I am a sinner. Right now, do it. Talk to the hand. Talk to the Lord. He hears you. God, I have sinned against you. God, I deserve your judgment. I deserve your judgment. But God, I agree with what you said about your son's death. And God, I believe it counted for me. You said whoever calls on the Lord. Do this. Talk to God. God, I believe Jesus is the Lord. He's my Lord. I confess Him. He is my Lord. Why don't you do this? Talk to God. Not me. Not talking to yourself. You're talking to God. Say, I can't see Him. This is faith. Here it is. God, will you please forgive me? Save me from my sin. God, will you give me Christ's righteousness? I trust his death to pay for all my sin. And I dare you to go the next step. Say, God, I trust you right now. I trust your promises. I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior to follow him. Father, Lord, if you just helped even one person to have just in a simple childlike faith put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior Lord would you give them that assurance keep it simple with them Lord I'd love to celebrate with them so Lord I pray that they would let it be known to myself someone here today that they trusted Jesus Lord 
bring glory to yourself through the ages. Lord, I thank you for when I was a nine-year-old boy, you saved me. You changed my life. God, I thank you that the day's coming when I'm going to experience the unmeasurable, immeasurable riches of your grace by kindness to me. Let that spur us on with hope. Give us strength. Lord, let us love you and reflect our faith in obedience that glorifies Christ as we exalt you now by song. We pray in Christ's name. Would you stand?